welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we continue with Jeremiah chapter 7. The word that came to Jeremiah from Yahweh. Stand in the gate of Yahweh's house, and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of Yahweh, all you men of Judah, who enter these gates to worship Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of Yahweh, the temple of Yahweh, the temple of Yahweh. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, We are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares Yahweh. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, declares Yahweh, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen, and when I called you, you did not answer, therefore I will do to the house that is called by my name, and in which you trust, and to the place that I gave to you and to your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. As for you, do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry or prayer for them, and do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Is it I whom they provoke, declares Yahweh? Is it not themselves to their own shame? Therefore thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, upon man and beast, upon the trees of the field and the fruit of the ground. It will burn and not be quenched. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, Add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices, and eat the flesh. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers, or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and went backward and not forward. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them, day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. 
they did worse than their fathers. So you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call out to them, but they will not answer you. And you shall say to them, This is the nation that did not obey the voice of Yahweh their God, and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips. Cut off your hair and cast it away. Raise a lamentation on the bare heights, for Yahweh has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. For the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares Yahweh. They have set their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. And they have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when it will no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Topheth, because there is no room elsewhere, and the dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth, and none will frighten them away. And I will silence in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. For the land shall become a waste. This is the word of the Lord. So today's chapter, once again, is a call to Judah to repent, but also includes the recognition, God speaking to Jeremiah the prophet, that Judah won't repent. Jeremiah is to go. He's to proclaim this word to them, but God knows they will reject it. There's a twofold thing going on there. First, between God and people, God is still offering the chance for repentance. This just furthers their condemnation because they will, as it says, stiffen their necks. They will be hard of heart themselves. But the Lord is offering them the opportunity. There is no one in this creation whom God has not given the chance to repent. God lays it before us, and he does so in many and various ways. Much of it is his patience, simply granting us time to see the errors of our way and how our own sins turn back upon us. But Judah will not repent. And the second part of this does appear to have, again, part to do with Jeremiah himself. Back in chapter 4, verse 10, Jeremiah actually accused Yahweh of deceiving these people, allowing them to believe that they would be okay when he brings this threat against them. And so God is actually working through this also to teach Jeremiah that his judgment is right and just, and that it is the people who have rejected him, and it's their rejection that is bringing about the destruction. So we see both of those things in play here. As we look at the text itself then, starting out here, verse 1, God speaks to Jeremiah again. And he tells him to go and stand in the Lord's house, Yahweh's house, that would be the temple in Jerusalem, and to proclaim this word there. So Jeremiah is to go to the heart of what should have been the faith, right? the, the house of the Lord. He's to go there and he's to declare God's judgment against his people. Say it to all the men of Judah who enter to worship Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel. So the one that's supposed to be your God, the one that you claim that you're here to worship, he calls them to repent, amend your ways, amend your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. 
That's a good note about repentance. Where there is repentance, there is forgiveness. Should they repent of their wickedness, the Lord would grant them extended life in that location, in that place. He would not bring this judgment upon Jerusalem. He warns them to not put their trust in the, verse 4, these deceptive words, and it's just a chant. This is Yahweh's temple. This is Yahweh's temple over and over again. Essentially, because we have God's temple here, nothing can happen to us. Look at the strength that we have. Look at the defense we have. Look at the fortress we have. No one will mess with us. That's their perspective on this, that because even though they have abandoned Yahweh and worshiping all these other gods, because Yahweh's temple stands among them, they see it as a superstition at this point. There's truth to actually what they've said in the past, that the Lord has defended his people, he has been dwelling in their midst, and he has fought for them. In fact, in the reference to Shiloh that's coming up, the Ark of the Covenant is the throne of God from the tabernacle and also the temple. And when it gets captured by the Philistine army and carried away, the Lord is going to bring judgment on all those different places of the Philistines that his Ark goes. Because it's his throne and he's fighting for his people. And so eventually the Philistines are so fed up with it, they send it back. They don't want that among them anymore. So God fights and defends, but if the Lord abandons, if he leaves a place, there is nothing left to defend it. And that's the issue here, is that they do not recognize that their sin well, is sin, that they've done anything wrong before the Lord, and that they are at risk of losing the safety that they have enjoyed. So verse 5 again calls them to repent, amend their ways and their deeds, execute justice, do not oppress. You get the classes that are protected in the Old Testament, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, oftentimes spoken of. All these various ideas of how they should be acting and living and repenting and ultimately do not go after other gods. Then I will let you dwell in this place that I gave of old to your father. So a reference to remember where you came from. Remember whose you are. This land is a gift. And these things can be said even of us today. Everything that you have comes from God. There is nothing that you have in this world and in this life that is yours. Everything is a gift. He has entrusted it to you. He has given you even life itself. Remember this and trust in Yahweh above all things because of this. And he will continue to care and provide for you. Verse 8, instead of trusting in God's ways, they trust deception, false teaching. And verse 9 gives a list, and you can pair up these different sins with the different commandments. It's a good exercise to do with kids to help them learn the Ten Commandments and see them in Scripture. Stealing is seventh, murder is fifth, committing adultery is sixth, swearing falsely is eighth, and then the last two offerings to Baal and other gods. Now that's the first one. I shall have no other gods before me. You do all these things. And then after doing all these things, you come and stand before God in his house, say, we are delivered. And then you go right back out doing all the abominations. In fairness, this sounds an awful lot like us today. And this is why this is a great spot to stop and have a family conversation around confession and absolution and repentance. 
The picture here is the Israelites, the people of God, they're living completely apart from God. They're sinning in many and various ways. They're chasing after many false gods. They're not trusting in Yahweh. But they come to his house. They say, we have a deliverer. We're saved. And then they leave, and they keep doing all the things that they were doing before. There's something missing from that picture. But the question maybe to frame this around for your children, does God forgive us if we repeat the same sin over again? So God forgave me for lying today. And I repent, I confess my sin, and then I go out and I lie again. Does God forgive me again? This is a helpful conversation point to know and to learn. Confession of sin is when we come before God, we confess what we've done wrong, and we don't always have to remember everything either. And Oftentimes we can't even remember all the ways we have sinned against the Lord. To repent is to turn away from our sin, though. It is to acknowledge in humility and humbleness that I am wrong and that the Lord is good and that I trust myself to the one who is good to heal my brokenness, to remove my sin from me, and he does. And so I confess my sin. I confess the ones that I know, and I confess the ones that I don't even remember or never knew to begin with, but things that I did wrong unknowingly. And God forgives those sins. Now it is true, I can I can commit the sin of speeding, that is a sin, by the way, and I can then confess that sin before the Lord, and I can go right back out and do that sin again and receive the Lord's forgiveness again in confession and absolution later. This is true. God does this. We have all repeated sins. If the Lord ever held this against us, if the Lord were ever to say, oh, you sinned that way before, I'm not going to forgive you this time, we would all be damned to hell every last one of us. There's not one of us here who hasn't. This is why when Peter has this conversation with Jesus and says, shall I forgive my brother seven times? And Jesus says, not seven times, but 70 times seven or 77 times, depending on which English translation that you're working with there. It's a number too big to keep track of. Just keep forgiving. And that's the picture of what God does for us. It hinges, though, on repentance. We do not come into the Lord's house saying, this was my sin, so speeding. I'm going to confess this sin of speeding before the Lord and in my mind think like how I'm going to speed when I get out of church and I'm going to go, you know, wherever it is. I got to get to lunch in a hurry, so I'm going to speed to get there. That's not repentance. There was no turning that occurred in that moment. All I'm doing is saying, "Eh, this is what I did. I'm admitting to it, but I haven't repented of it. That's going to be what makes the difference for the people of Judah here versus your normal moment of confession and absolution for the church. Repentance. The Judaites here, the Jerusalem dwellers, have not repented. There is no turning. They have a full intention of continuing on in their abominations. Repentance says, I've turned away, I've sinned, I I should not have done this thing, forgive me, Lord, and then perhaps I will go back out and do it that same day even, but I don't intend to. That's the part of repentance in this. And so they don't repent. That's the trouble of the text. And I know I spent a lot of our time today on that topic, but that's such an important 
thing in all of this. And so the Lord is now going to tell them that they have made his house a den of robbers. That's going to be familiar to you from the lips of Jesus in Matthew 21, verse 13, Mark 11, verse 17, and Luke chapter 19, verse 46. He says this, quoting from both Isaiah 56, verse 7, that the Lord's house ought to be a place of prayer, but that they have made it into a den of robbers. That phrase comes from here in Jeremiah 7. It's a den that is a hiding place. It's like thieves think that they can get away with their their stealing and they can just hide out safely here. The people of Jerusalem think that they can continue rebelling against God and that they're somehow safe in his temple. It's not it at all. Not at all. And so he points them to Shiloh. First Samuel chapter 4, the Ark of the Covenant, stolen by the Philistines in battle, because again, they thought that they were safe. They trusted not in the Lord, but they just assumed that the Ark would care for them because it's the Ark. The disconnect in their mind, it became a superstitious idol, even for them, even the throne of God. So Shiloh is Well, it ends up being destroyed. Psalm 78, verse 60 and following will pick up on that idea. For the most part, the picture here, though, is that the Lord has abandoned Shiloh. His presence is no longer there, and that's why ultimately it can be destroyed. And that's what this chapter threatens to the people of Israel, that it's going to happen the same way to them, that the Lord will remove his presence from them, and that when he does, destruction will follow. The section starting at verse 16, Jeremiah is told not to pray for this people. And again, God is showing him all the wrongs that they have done. They're making bread to offer to the queen of heaven, of which there is no queen of heaven. False gods. They're chasing after these other ones as well. And so his anger will be poured out upon the place, including man, beast, tree, fruit, everything. And God's judgment will not be quenched. So he reminds them in the next paragraph that the burnt offerings and sacrifices were never the goal. The goal was that they would obey his voice. And you can see this in places like Exodus 15, verse 26, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3, and it's all over the Old Testament, really. Here's one example, Deuteronomy 6, 3. Hear, therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as Yahweh the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Obey the commandments, but they didn't. This was the covenant. He would be their God. They would be his people. They've broken it. They're not his people. He has still been God to them. He has still provided and cared. He continues to send his prophets to call them back again and again. But their hearts are evil. They don't listen to him, and they have stiffened their neck. That's a farming metaphor, that if you put the yoke on your ox to plow your field, his neck is where he goes. Like If, if his head is facing straight, he's going to go straight. To make him turn, you have to turn his head, and he'll follow. But if his neck is stiff, he's not turning. He's not going to listen to the command of the farmer. He's going to do his own thing and just keep on going. And that's the picture for the people. Common scriptural insult to have a stiff neck. So they are going to be cut off. They did not accept discipline, and the truth has perished from among them. That last line sounds an awful lot familiar to our own society today. The truth has perished from among us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, and that truth does not perish. But our culture 
stiff-necked, not listening to him, the truth is pretty much non-existent among our society. The last thing I'm going to bring up is the final paragraph. This mention of the Valley of the Son of Hanom, they have not only worshipped various idols and even set them up in the, in the Lord's temple, which is detestable, as it says here in verse 30, they have also made offerings of their own children, burning them alive in the fire to the false gods Molech and Kamash in the valley of the son of Hinnom. That valley was located just off to the southwest of the city of Jerusalem, and it's going to get a new name in the New Testament. It's what you are familiar with called Gehenna. That actually comes from Hinnom in Hebrew, uh, as you go from Hebrew into Greek. So Gehenna is the valley of the son of Hinnom, and it takes on a referent to the idea of hell because of such terrible atrocities that happen in that valley. And that's a reference to right here. So as Jesus talks about Gehenna in the New Testament, and it sounds like hell, it's because this. The people of God, by Jesus' time, they so despised the things of the past that had happened there that that was their own view of the place now. It was a place of suffering and torture and death. And so Jesus just uses the term the way that the people used their term. But again, just like truth has perished in our culture, our culture does this too. We burn our sons and daughters. We, we might not do it in the fire, but we, we sacrifice our children to false gods all the time. In fact, in the last 50 years, it's been roughly 63 million of them. And in last year, it was like 43 million across the globe in one year. We, we kill our children all the time. And it's a terrible atrocity against the Lord. The Lord will not stand with it forever. So as you continue with this text, wrapping this up, uh, it's going to be called the Valley of Slaughter, and that is the dead, because it will be so filled with the dead. There will be no one left to frighten off the birds or the beasts, because there's no one left. They're all destroyed. God is going to silence their gladness and make the place a waste. Maybe one last conversation point for a family on this. Is there any place today that escapes God's judgment? The answer to that is no. We cannot take confidence in the things of this world. We can't say, oh, look at this great church that we have. We will surely be fine. Every place will be judged. We escape by Christ alone, by his forgiveness that he won for us on Calvary.